Hello, welcome to Christ Church at Grove Farm Sermon Podcast. In addition to our Sunday services, we are kicking off our Wednesday in Wilson study of Elijah and how it points us to the life of Christ. If you would like more information about Christ Church at Grove Farm or would like to connect with our pastors, staff, or ministry leaders, I would encourage you to visit our website, ccgf.org. Enjoy the message from this week. Grace and peace to you. We'll be looking at one of the great, great stories in the Old Testament tonight from 1 Kings chapter 18. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible, uh, you can do that, but uh, everything that uh, we will be considering will also be on the screen before you. And so I want to begin by reading, uh, and there'll be, uh, the verses will be in order, but uh, I'm starting at verse 7. So listen as I read to you from God's Word. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go and tell your master, Elijah is here. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Here ends the reading of God's word. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, it's March Madness, and I'm not referring to just the uh, NCAA Division I uh, basketball tournaments, men's and women's, but there's a lot of other madness in our world. Have you noticed? There's uh, madness in uh, in the banking industry. There's madness in the stock market. You're probably mad because your retirement fund has a depreciated in value significantly in the last months. Uh, There's uh, madness in Ukraine. There's madness in politics. There's madness in education. And uh, when I came in tonight, there were even ladies with shamrocks on her head over here. (laughs) There's madness everywhere, isn't there? But especially in our world, uh, we're recognizing that uh, there's a lot of March Madness going on. And so it would be great to see a confrontation between good and evil. And the good news is that when that ultimately happens, God and God's people win. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight in this great story from 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to talk about a showdown on a mountaintop. And that showdown on a mountaintop 800 years before the Lord Jesus Christ paralleled another showdown on the mountaintop that took place 
on Mount Calvary on Good Friday. We've talked about the difference between Elijah and Elisha. And uh, again, I'm going to give you a quiz the last day, so you'll need to be able to prepare for that. But uh, we've also talked about the parallels. We know that Elijah was from Tishbe and Jesus was from Nazareth, out-of-the-way places. And they both appeared, and here's, here's my madness. I've proofread this three times, and I still have grammatical, grammatical errors. I'm mad, too. Um, <laughs> Elijah appeared with an announcement. It's not going to rain around here until the Lord tells me to instruct you that it will. And Jesus appeared with an announcement made by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Elijah went into the ravine, and Jesus went into the wilderness. Elijah was provided for miraculously. Jesus, while in the wilderness, was ministered to by angels. Then Elijah went to Sidon, as we talked about last week. Jesus also went to Sidon. Elijah ministered to a Gentile woman. So too did, uh, did Jesus. Elijah multiplied food. Jesus did that twice. Elijah raised the widow's son. Jesus raised the widow's son. And then Elijah participated in a victory on top of Mount Carmel. And Jesus participated in a victory. He was the victory on the top of Mount Calvary. This is what Mount Carmel looks like. It overlooks the Mediterranean Sea in the western part of Israel. I've been up on the top of that several years ago when I visited in Israel. This is the place where this contest, this showdown, occurred. You can see it here on the map, and uh, it is just to the west of Jezreel, or Samaria, which uh, constituted the northern kingdom where Ahab was king and Jezebel was queen. Now, I could tell you the story, uh, but I can't do better than the word of God. And so I'm going to read a long time to you here, but uh, I think you'll appreciate God's word rather than hearing somebody else just retell the story. And you can follow along in 1 Kings chapter 18. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called in the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or, or busy or traveling. 
you'll laugh at this, the complete Hebrew Bible translates it this way. Perhaps he is in deep, uh, in deep thought or busy or on the potty. <laughs> Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. And Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Do you know how to say the Lord, he is God in Hebrew? Elijah. That's how you say it. Let's do that together, okay? Pretend we're up there on the mountainside and the fire of the Lord has fallen. Here we go. Elijah, 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 Elijah. The Lord, oh, keep going, that's great. <laughs> the Lord, he is God. The people of Israel confessed. You know, as Christians, we believe in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, Jesus hadn't been born yet, but those people of Israel in that moment confessed that the Lord was their God. There's lots of symbolism in this story. And I could probably preach a sermon on every single item. But of course, Mount Carmel symbolizes Mount Calvary, where Jesus went for a showdown. And Ahab is the representation of evil in this story, just as Satan was present in gleeful joy as he saw the Son of God being put to death on Mount Calvary. As we read about the altar, the altar was constructed of 12 stones, which represented the foundation of the nation of Israel. And we know that Jesus, his whole life, was based upon the foundation of the Mosaic Law and the Old Testament. 
Jesus was from Israel. His mother, uh, a virgin of Israel. The cross was erected on that foundation. The prophets of Baal and Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and as we read, they were all on, uh, on the government dole. They were all being fed by uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And there were government officials involved in, in Christ's death as well. Uh, the agents of Christ's death were evident there. And then there was the challenge. <clears throat> Elijah confronted the people of Israel and he said, if the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And uh, that, what that is what constitutes the cross. The cross stands at the center of human history, the crossroads of humanity. And all people must decide for himself or themselves, their selves, must decide whether to choose Jesus or to reject his atoning sacrifice on the cross. There was a decision there for the people on Mount Carmel, and there's decision for us, for all who look to the cross on Calvary. Now, the water is interesting. There were 12 barrels of water that was poured on the, on the, on the altar. And those 12 barrels served as a witness to... Um, <clears throat> am I not working? Oh. No, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, those 12 barrels of water served as a witness to the power of God. Those barrels of water drenched that sacrifice. So when the fire of God fell, it, it couldn't be a mistake. You know, it, it couldn't have been, you know, Elijah with a cigarette lighter and he lights it up here. Uh, it was the power of God. And uh, the fire fell and it licked up the sacrifice. It ate up the dust. It consumed the water. It destroyed everything. It was incredible. And, and those barrels of water testify to that. And what do we have in the New Testament? We have 12 apostles, 12 men of God who testify to the power of God. They lived with Jesus. They spent time with him, and their testimony is one that assures us that Jesus was not just human, he was God. He was human to identify with us, and he was God. And his death on the cross is such that because of his identity with us, and because of the fact that he was God, that atoning sacrifice is available to all who believe. And those apostles testify to that. The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. That was the prayer of Elijah. All of these things were done for the glory of God, at the command of God. Jesus' words were much simpler on the cross He'd lived for three years. He'd done an incredible number of things. And he simply said, it is finished. On Mount Carmel, the wrath of God was poured out on a substitutionary sacrifice. The sacrifice was acceptable. And it was complete and total. That sacrifice that day was accepted by God and the fact that it was totally consumed along with everything else there on the altar was indicative of the fact that God was all-powerful 
and that God was pleased with Elijah. And on Mount Calvary, the wrath of God was poured out on the substitutionary sacrifice. And the sacrifice was acceptable, and it was total, and it was complete. And because of that sacrifice, there's, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do other than receive that gift to acknowledge that Jesus died, paid the penalty for our sins, and we have but to acknowledge that we are sinners and ask for forgiveness. And he will grant us that both now and forever. But there's more to the story because you see, the drought hadn't ended yet. And we know that there's a story about the fact that the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah were killed and we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I'm not going to tonight. I want to talk about the end of the drought because that's really what I want us to think about as we live in a, a mad world, a crazy world, where there's a, a spiritual drought. And so we read on. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Elijah prayed seven times. And the writer of the book of James tells us about that in James chapter 5, 17. He wrote, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And the parallel I want to draw here is for us, as the, the church in America today, living in a time of madness when there is, where there is spiritual drought. If uh, the rain is going to fall, it's going to take the prayers of God's people. And those prayers are going to have to be persistence, not just once, but, uh, but seven times. When we see that number in the scriptures, we know that it means more than just once or twice. It means that as, as much as it takes according to the plan of God for all of us. Now, I love this. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. It's about 50 kilometers from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, or about 30 miles. I would love to have Elijah on my track team. <laughs> and you know, Bible scholars have wondered, why this? Why did Elijah run in front of Ahab all the way? Because Ahab had lost. The powers of evil had been defeated and Elijah was going to be in his face all the way back to Jezebel. And you know, Satan was defeated on the cross. Jesus won the victory there. 
And the church has been empowered to be in the face of Satan all the way until Christ returns. Satan knows that he's lost. And the church runs before him and the powers of hell will not prevail against it. And we need to take, we need to take a confidence in that and run with authority before the powers of Satan because Christ has empowered us through his Holy Spirit. A little more symbolism here. We talked about the fact that the wrath of God was satisfied by the sacrifice for Elijah and the wrath of God was satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus. And the drought ended but it took seven times of prayer. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, the drought of Israel, the spiritual drought, 400 years of silence from uh, the book of Malachi to the birth of Jesus, the drought of Israel ended. It took seven times seven, 49 days of those apostles praying in the upper room. And then what happened on Pentecost Sunday? The drought ended. The spirit came and the church exploded. And we have access to that same power today. So how can the church today end the drought? Well, last week we talked about the bread. The importance of bread, the daily reading of the written word of God. We talked about the oil. The constant filling of the Holy Spirit. And this week, the third component that's necessary to end the drought in our world is persistent supplication, the persistent prayers of God's people. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, the uh, Ashland University revival and the Jesus Revolution occurred at the beginning of the Lenten season in 2023. I think God is prompting his people to get busy and to unleash his power in this country, in this world. It's time for revival. It's time for some more fire and rain. You know, there was a, a song by a secular artist uh, way back in 1970. His name was James Taylor. Some of you who are as old as I am maybe remember that song. The title of the song was Fire and Rain. And it was really a song about the fact that he had lost one of his close friends to suicide. And it was a song about his own struggle with, uh, with addiction and drugs. But in that song toward the end, he said, you got to look down upon me, Jesus. i got to take a stand. I can't make it any other way. Secular artist, 53 years ago, but the message is for us today in a, an age of madness. We got to look to Jesus. We can't make it any other way. And if the greater church will do that, if Christ's church will do that, there's going to be some fire and rain. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for that powerful fire that fell from heaven, consuming that sacrifice and yet pointing ahead to the, 
the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for our sins. We thank you for the persistent prayers of Elijah that uh, brought an end to that physical drought and symbolically the end to a spiritual drought. Lord, as we live in a day of madness and drought, may we, we be faithful in the reading of God's word. May we seek the filling of God's spirit and may we be the people of God at prayer. And Lord, may we be the generation that brings about a revival in this land. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.